Welcome to the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there and welcome to the Cannabis 101 podcast. My name is Dean Millard. Good morning. Good afternoon, good evening, depending on what time of the day you are listening to this. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for downloading it. This is episode 50. I'm 50. We have turned 50 on the Cannabis 101 podcast. And remember, it's not just about getting high. It's about getting healthy. That is the uh, the main thing we want to do. We want to entertain and we want to educate you on this show and sometimes we are going to talk about getting high and other times we're going to talk about getting healthy and the first thing we are going to talk about is finding out what's your groove and that's where we want to know if you are grooving to anything while listening to this show let me know in your pipe and smoke it. Can you dig it? Kind of grabs you by the boo-boo, don't it? Pipe in a grape, long in a blitz. This is great. This is the bee's knees. Can you dig it? So what are you grooving with, if anything? Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Cannabis 101. You can email me, Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com or check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Let me know what you're grooving to. Uh, joint, pipe, bong, edible, drink, uh, CBD capsule, CBD flower, vaping. Who knows? Who knows what you're going with? Uh, I am grooving. Uh, with little uh, Jean Guy from uh, Sugar Leaf, uh, cool story. Uh, as the legend goes, uh, an anonymous donor dropped some uh, Jean Guy dropped some seeds off at a compassion clinic in Montreal, and uh, turned out to be this uh, great, delicious strain that we have today, and saved uh, saved the uh, clinic. Basically, turned it around. But they didn't know who it was that donated it. So as the legend goes, uh, Jean Guy being a common name, they named it Jean Guy. So uh, there you go. Uh, that's what I'm going with right now. Uh, it's delicious. Although I-, I do have to say totally excessive packaging. comes in a square box that you could hold three joints in and there's one. Uh, so we, s- we still have work to do. On the packaging, as for today's show, here's what's coming down the hash pipe. Tyler Rumi, the co-founder and CEO of Good Buds. If you have not heard about this country or company, rather, you are going to absolutely love their story. All that's missing is Chris Farley. Like he literally uh, started the company out of a van down by the ocean. Uh, David Wiley from the OZ will join me for this week in Cannabis News and chat about canopy growth. Uh, bad news for them and uh, some medical marijuana news out of the United States 
that is very positive. Chris Ionson, our educator and the manager of the Nova Cannabis Jasper Ave location, will drop in for What's That Strain. We are doing Mazar Crossed with Great White Shark, or GWS, from Royal High, and Melka LaBelle from the Green Generation Co. on the business of cannabis, chatting about legacy and medical growers getting into the uh, recreational side. It is really, really cool. Our cannabis question where you can win a regal cigar is about where the coolest place you've consumed. I'll tell you a little bit later how you can get a promo code to get a 50% off a DNA kit from Lobo Genetics. And we'll tell you about the Weed Weekly where you can win a monthly prize and keep up to date with the Cannabis 101 podcast. But let's light her up. It's prize time. Chime in on the cannabis question. Okay. And you could win a Cannabis 101 podcast prize pack. Pipe in a grape, bong in a blint. Hit us up on any of our social media feeds or email us at cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Okay, here we go. All right, so wanting to know where the coolest place that you've consumed, and that is the cannabis question. You can chime in on any of our social media networks, as you heard, or you can email us if you'd like to stay anonymous, cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. For me, it would be a gondola in Banff um, on the way up to go skiing and just having that really amazing view. Um, There's been some cool, really amazing places where I've been on the water, uh, whether it's uh, Crimson Lake, although that uh, didn't turn out that well, Bow River in Calgary, and, and a few other cool places. Um, but yeah, I would I, anything with nature is uh, where I we went on this really cool hike in uh, Ordeg on the uh, top of this uh, mountain hill, and and that view was uh, spectacular. And you know, there's been a couple of hikes I did in uh, Jasper, uh, one all by myself. Uh, that was a pretty cool spot until I saw the uh, grizzly tracks that were. Fairly fresh, and I booted it all the way down. Anyway, uh, hit me up uh, on social media or through email, as I mentioned, to win a uh, Regal Cigar. Man, that Andre from uh, Regal Cigar is a generous dude, and uh, he's given us some more to give away. So I've got another one this week for you to win just for chiming in on where the coolest place you have consumed. As for what pairs well with cannabis, that's anything that goes well with cannabis. Uh, For me, I found out this week is gardening. Uh, We did a bunch of work on our uh, patio at our complex with some trees and some flowers, and uh, it was a a lot of hard work, but it was awesome. Uh, Just uh, throughout the day, uh, had the odd joint, um, had some cold beverages to keep me uh, refreshed as well, Uh, but it just... uh, was able to, you know, and then that night sitting out there, you're kind of in touch with the thing that you built and uh, there's nothing wrong. Or there's always the good things to get in touch with when it comes to cannabis and uh, nature. All right. So before we get to Tyler Rumi, the CEO and co-founder of Good Buds, I want to tell you about the Weed Weekly. You can get the latest on what's happening with the Cannabis 101 podcast by subscribing to the Weed Weekly at www.cannabis101podcast.ca. If you sign up, you're in the mix for our monthly prize pack, but only for subscribers. Plus, it's an easy way to keep up to date with hopefully one of your favorite podcasts. 
We'll get to Tyler Rumi of Good Buds right after here. We hear right after we hear this ditty uh, from the artist My Dead Dog. This is the Weed Song. Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Pleased to welcome to the Cannabis 101 podcast, the co-founder and CEO of Good Buds, uh, a really cool Canadian company. Tyler Rumi is joining me. Tyler, thanks so much for being here on the show. I, I always like to kind of start out uh, my question when I have cannabis guests on about what they did before cannabis, the the industry, because you know, for most of us, we did something before we got into the legal cannabis industry. So what was like before, what was your career before cannabis like? Thanks, Dean. Yeah, it's definitely my pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, yeah, on my career before cannabis, uh, I guess there was a couple of things. I was a professional burnout, um, a photographer. I did some work uh, at Roots and, you know, learned a little bit about brand and uh, also did some cultivation and the MMR. So, when and what attracted you to growing in the first place? What is it? What is it about the growing process that you thought, "Wow, I, I wanted to get into this"? Really, whether it's personally or 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 for business. Uh, personally, it was definitely because uh, at the time when I first got into it, it was illegal. It was really cool. Um, hanging around with the people who also grew was really cool. Uh, I was definitely like, young and, you know, very, like, influenced by, by doing cool stuff. Um, and then I guess later on, like, I I realized it's kind of a great time to take a crack at a cannabis business because it was becoming uh, a real opportunity um, where I, I didn't see that it was kind of in that same place like it is now uh, 10, 15 years ago. So where did you turn to when you first, like, you know, what do you, what do you, how do you remember learning about how to grow uh, in the very beginning? Um, so a lot of it, I guess that I remember was you do a lot of MacGyvering, a lot of reading <laughs> on the forum, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you meet any, any local growers you can and you, uh, you hang on dearly, um, uh, you know, and, and you make friends and you kind of exchange ideas, but, yeah, there's definitely a lot of forums back then. You know, you couldn't go on Instagram to get advice or feedback, it was, but it was still a pretty cool time. Like, very people were very still open with tips on how to grow and, like, how to improve. And then, yeah, the, the growers, I guess, that you get the opportunity to work with to teach you uh, everything. Yeah, the growing family uh, seems like it would be a, kind of a sharing one of, you know, paying it forward with the knowledge that you get. What is your favorite 
part of the growing cycle? Uh, you know, if you if you're starting from the beginning until the end, do you have a favorite part? Now at, at Good Buzz, my favorite part is always walking in right after they reset a room. So there's like a great kind of renewal. The space looks perfect and clean and like it's got that, you know, that idea of like a new opportunity. Like you never know how good the next year is going to be. And that's, I always find that to be a really nice, a really nice time in the growth cycle. Yeah. If anticipation had a smell, that might be it, right? That's it. Yeah, it's all it's all ahead of you, you know, and like everybody's only as good as their last growth. So in that way, we're always driving and like always driving to to do like a, a next one, a better one the next time and just keep improving. And the very beginning, it's like that. It's like a, almost like a blank canvas, you know, you just don't even know what you're going to get yet. Well, let's talk about your journey from uh, Ontario to, to Salt Spring Island. Um, first of all, you know, did you know where you were going or did you just land there? And and how long did it take you to, to get from Ontario and then saying, yeah, I'm home at Salt Spring Island? Yeah, so uh, I, I drove in a van, which was pretty fun, with uh, my partner, Nicole. We were kind of itching to get out and we'll see Canada a bit and do something different. Uh, so we kind of drove west and did that for a couple of weeks and stopped for a bit in Alberta, which is beautiful. Like, I really love Alberta, too. Like, what a wonderful place. We were uh, spending some time in Banff, and, and she had some family there in, in uh, Edmonton and actually in Calgary that we were visiting. So that was pretty chill. Uh, but then we worked our way to BC, where, where my family's from, where... I've got aunts and uncles and cousins and my grandma living here. So it was kind of a nice family family rendezvous and uh, the perfect place to end up to when I had run out of uh, weed because at that time there was no dispensaries yet in Alberta. So um, after a bit of a dry month, I was beat it as fast as I could to BC. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how did you know that Salt Spring Island was the place to, to end up? when you got to BC? So I haven't had some uh, aunts and uncles and cousins stuff living here over the years. I, I did a few times to visit when I was really young and then again, kind of in my, in my teens. And it's just such a beautiful, natural, and like kind of wild place. Like it's a really special, special island. Um, there's a lot of people here that kind of do a lot of different things. Like, craft growing and craft food making. Um, and they really do bring like a lot of passion to that craft. Uh, one of those things they definitely do is cannabis. Um, so getting to meet a few growers uh, here on the island uh, became very clear immediately this is the spot to be. Well, I think the, uh, you know, the area that you settled in, uh, you're right, it's it's one of the most beautiful uh, in our entire country. And then to go from there to say, I'm going to start what has become good buds, uh, out of your van. Um, you know, I, I, I guess you kind of did, did you just do everything out of your van? So it was just normal to be like, yeah, we're going to start our business out of this van. And what was the impetus of that? <laughs> uh, at the time is that that's where I lived. I was living kind of in the van. Um, and I was, with some family like aunts and uncles and kind of bouncing around uh, but when we were going to start the business it was clear it was going to be more long term um, but I was also 
saving all my money for the business too. So I continued to live in the van. Uh, we we started good, but on some kind of old farmland that hadn't been farmed probably in about twenty years. Uh, we used to do a lot of like orchard and kind of different seed farming here. Uh, but we're kind of doing a lot of rejuvenating farming now. So at the time, it was just kind of uh, neglected old farmhouse and some long unfarmed land that needed some TLC uh, and, you know, hanging out at the top of the hill in my van and kind of getting things together to build that into uh, an LP. So, yeah, I started in that van and, you know, we kind of got a trailer in after a little while to upgrade. Uh, but we built good, but the, the building where the LP is now kind of from scratch on, on that spot. Uh, yeah, well, I was living like this. <laughs> you know, walk down, walk down from your place and check on how progress is doing. Go back up to a quick cat nap. That's beautiful. I mean, when you're when you're back in that day, I don't know if you're thinking what you have currently right now as as a vision, but you know, I I would be happy with that job. I mean, that just sounds so peaceful, relaxing. <laughs> you're 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 definitely in tune with nature. I mean, when you think back to those those days and. Um, I would say simpler days, not, I don't, not suggesting that things are hectic, but that, that very first, uh, few months must've been pretty cool. It was really exciting. I remember one of the, actually the contractors that worked with us from Truthfield, the guy that they were building said, he like texted me one day and said like, Hey man, make sure to savor this. Cause like back then, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to get our license. We weren't sure if any of this stuff was going to work or pay off or was ever going to happen. Um, but it still really was a special, exciting time. So I'm like, this that text and then kind of stop and appreciate getting to kind of like see uh, a vision come together, like see a new industry coming together too, right? Like not even just where I was, but everywhere where you're sitting around for like a year plus waiting for, you know, to kind of be able to start it. Let's be really taking that moment and like, this is a great place to be able to do that. So then you start you know, building a, a little bit as time goes by. Um, how do you decide about surrounding yourself uh, with the, the people that are on your team? Uh, you know, you guys are not a big corporation. It's a, a, a kind of a, I think, a independent family business with a passion for the chronic. So how do you start surrounding yourself with the people that you want involved in this and, and keeping it the, the core values of it? Uh, we were pretty fortunate to start small um and that's really helpful when you need to build kind of this type of like family business because i think that it would be really difficult to do like overnight um but part of it was by focusing on people that we knew had a passion for the final product and for cultivating cannabis making cannabis products like hash and rosin that those, those are people who will put in the extra steps and like care about putting in the extra steps to get in the best final product. Um, and it also felt like that's the right people to hire in this space because people have been working in the black market or like kind of on the not what was the right side of the law before, like deserve, you know, a place to table for sure in this space because they're the ones who are the most qualified. They've put in the blood and sweat and tears and they were willing to do it too when it was a little more risky. Um, so that's kind of who we started with with a lot of our team. Uh, that's obviously not everybody on our team, but uh, it was a great, great way to kind of get people that are uh, passionate about the product and they're going to bring that to everything they do. 
And you're so you're growing uh, in Salt Spring Island, which is uh, you know acclaimed for for the the soil and the climate. So can you tell me about what makes that area? Uh, so terrific for for cannabis in particular, and kind of how the the salt air breeze impacts on the growing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so ocean grown cannabis, like OG cannabis, kind of had a long tradition of being something special, like having certain special qualities to it that you can't get anywhere else, and that's something that we've really learned year when we did our first outdoor last year because the hash that was coming off was just so sticky and like as if it was almost like protecting itself extra from like the sea and salty air blowing over it all day. Uh, we're not too far from the ocean at all on our lot of our outdoor grows. It's probably like less than 50 meters. So like, I'm feeling it right now. I'm just putting my car to do this because I just never fly it down the stairs. And like the ocean breeze is like blowing in and it's like cool and it's like my little hair stand up and I think the same way it does it the cannabis to kind of give it a really unique and amazing flavor and texture profile that you can't replicate except with that environment. Yeah, it's when we did uh, uh, Salty God on uh, what's that strain. We were chatting about that, and and at first I was like, really, that's that's, and then you you get into it, and it is a unique flavoring or or add or whatever it is, and something that I I kind of never even really thought about. Um, that that soil out there, um, like there are wine country places that are perfect for wine country. Uh, is this like the cannabis capital for growing in Canada, or or should be for the for the type of soil that's out there? Yeah, so the soil is pretty interesting. Like cannabis doesn't need the deepest soil ever, and we've, we're basically on a rock here. So it's just, funnily enough, like it's a really great crop for farming on salt springs. Sometimes you know you don't get the greatest uh, the greatest soil, uh, but I think it is really fantastic soil for what cannabis wants in its, in its flavor profile. So cannabis, or so cannabis accumulates; it like sucks everything in that you ever feed it, um, and you can flush it all you want; you'll get most of it out. But it really just sucks up and retains everything. So the soil does play a pretty pivotal role in that kind of final flavor. I think. Uh, and yeah, I would say that Salt Spring is definitely a top place for that reason. So how do you guys uh, use things like uh, clover uh, for cover crops? And, and how has that process uh, worked into the to the, uh, the growing cycle? So the first uh, toughest part is finding uh, certified organic input uh, because we're working on certifying our outdoor cultivation for this fall. We're in transitional status right now. We have to make sure that any inputs are already certified organic, like right down to our, our clover cover crop. Uh, but once we find some good seeds, at, at the time that we plant, we're actually planting today um, outside, uh, we at the same time have someone just walk around with a little seed spinner and we sow the cover crop. And it, it'll come popping up as we irrigate the field along with all of our cannabis plants. And how does that help the process? Well, it's funny. Last year, we actually chose a clover that was a little too tall, and so it started outgrowing and shading some of the smaller <laughs> plants. So it's definitely it's a gamble still. Uh, it was funny, like just this, this is one clover we got instead of this thin. But this year we got a shorter a shorter species. But 
from happening. Like we we're on a bit of a slant, and a lot of water runs through our lot. So uh, during the winter, especially, so for that reason, the soil erosion it can get pretty devastating without a cover crop. And it's also more organic matter that we uh, turn into the field for the next year's uh, the next year's soil. So in, in both ways, that's helpful. It, it was also amazing last year how well the cover crop attracted different natural predators for any of the kind of pests and stuff that you can't really fight in the same controlled methods you can inside. Wow, that is uh, that is uh, amazing, and that's how uh, you stay away from uh, you know harmful chemicals. So, uh, for for anybody out there that uh, is listening that is interested in that, there's a a pretty good tip. Now, we're going to get into your growing indoor growing process in a second, but what do you do with the stuff that you do grow outdoors? So, for outside, we plant some seeds. Uh, we started about two weeks ago close to 80,000 seeds, um, and they're, uh, they're regular seeds. They're not feminized, um, and we do that to be able to select kind of new candidates and also to promote vigor in our plants for outdoors. Um, so we generated them all about two and a half, three weeks ago and started planting on Monday and will be done on Friday. Yeah, that's uh, uh, that's a lot of seeds. Um, is 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 <laughs> like that's a that's a lot of. It seems like it seems like a lot of work. Um, is it a is it a, a a labor of love for you at this point? You know, it's funny. It's, we got a team that really also loves uh, kind of killing it on our processes. So I think the labor of love thing, like you, you always get a little bit of like competition and that like team flow where people start getting a good groove on and then like everyone's playing a part trying to like keep up with the fastest person. So I think that definitely plays like a big role where you've got that like team mentality of like always trying to push the, the bar because every single time we start, you know, like with those seeds, we're only doing it for a week. The first day we did maybe like 15,000, the second day 20, the third day is like 35. And we're like, wow, how do we do it? So like, I think that's for sure. It's like, it's a labor of love and it's like that kind of, that thing where it's also a quick process so i think because we're only doing it for a week people are kind of excited we've got the new season coming like all of them are going to go out in this big field in a couple of weeks and you can like feel that anticipation of the whole summer kind of in in that specific step so yeah it's a lot of fun you know it's a bit grueling on the on the fingers punching all those jiffy pots and then making sure every seed lands in place intentionally to unfold but yeah it's, it's before you know it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good time. Uh, all right, let's chat about the indoor growing process uh, for good buds. Uh, you know, take me through the process from start to finish and, and how you guys always kind of have an eye uh, on the environment and being responsible. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, our indoor process is certified organic by VOPA. That's the Fraser Valley Organic Producers Association. So we only use uh, organic input that they have certified uh, for use. And additionally, too, uh, they helped us audit and, you know, ensure that all of our processes, so how we handle our materials, uh, how we dispose of any materials in the Spanish system, also meet the, uh, like those kind of organic standards. So um, one way that we were able to do a bit of uh, recycling in a room that we had going for about a year 
we wanted to turn over the soil in that room. We took it outside and we actually put it out in an outdoor area where the topsoil was a lot thinner and kind of beefed it up. Um, so that's kind of an interesting, fun recycling that we do with our, our medium. And every cultivation, we reuse the soil and actually just uh, add some amendments, add some you know, different ingredients to top it up again so it's ready for another cycle. But uh, the base soil, we're doing a year before without changing over. And we're now actually in the process of pushing that into as far as we can kind of take it uh, before we see any quality follow-up because one room that came up to the year, we just pushed it and we're actually seeing some pretty great results. Uh, and we think it's because that living soil just keeps on kind of getting more and more complex. So um, we're trying to maintain a really sustainable approach to our indoor by having all of our soil be reusable uh, and organic. What, uh, can, can you tell me a little bit about, um, the, uh, I guess your, your grow room and, and, and what you, uh, grow in. And, and I know you guys, uh, uh, try to collect, uh, rainwater, uh, but, but what is it, uh, re- recycled containers that you're growing in? That's right. Yeah. So, uh, we're in a unique situation where, um, at the time of our licensing, uh, they were debating in the ALR about allowing, uh, grow over uh, cement pads. They didn't want people to come into the farmland and make these huge, uh, ginormous grow factories and cement over the whole farmland. Uh, and the way that they made that law work was with saying that you couldn't cultivate over a cement area. So we got some uh, recycled sea cans and repurposed them by dropping them over top of the open field so we could create an indoor area without it's in technically over any cement. So it's like a real unique kind of uh, workaround for us to be able to have a, an indoor growth space because uh, otherwise we've only been able to be outdoor. Um, but it also reused all these sea cans. There's about 34 shipping containers um, that are now repurposed and like part of our building. Uh, so that was kind of a pretty cool process too because um, obviously, you know, those need to find a new home once they're done their shipping career. Uh, that's great. Uh, I, I, I just love the, uh, uh, recycled containers and, uh, using them as much as possible. And I also love, you know, you guys are, uh, about small batch. Uh, tell me about hand trim and, and hang drying and, and why you feel that is important. Yeah. So we, uh, we kind of were always into it as just a more romantic and like better, higher end premium process. And then one day, you know, we were forced to kind of challenge ourselves and we rack dried uh, a lot that we weren't really sure about and we wet trimmed it and we didn't hang dry it. And the quality just feels as if it went off a cliff. Like you couldn't even compare the kind of two products again um, after having gone through that other process. And, you know, since that trial, we've only hang dried ever since. And that goes all the way to our outdoor flower. Um, every gram of outdoor flower that goes to a free roll. Uh, well, and even grams that go into extracts, we hang dry it because it retains a way better terpene profile. Uh, it retains the integrity of the of the bud, so that it's squishy later and it doesn't turn into like kind of like a weird ducky zombie bud or like you know kind of like those dead buds. It's just like a really it's like it's got feeling to it and squish to it, and it retains the terps in a way that just doesn't compare to, to any other process that is drying. 
Well, that's something that the the home grower that's listening to this right now can take advantage of. Um, whether you you're good buds or you have your four plants at home, you can you can do the exact same thing and you know get more of a terpene flavor uh, profile out of your plants. So um, you know for anybody at home, uh, that's that's not you know something that's out of the realm of what they could do. Correct. One hundred percent. Yeah. The most important thing if they cut away just any big fan leaves, the ones that you don't see any trichomes on. You can leave the leaves even with the trichomes on them, the sugar leaves, that's cool, and just hang them up upside down and let them chill. And yeah, nice, you know, 50%-ish humidity room, 50-60%, let them hang out there for 10 days if you can. (laughs) Beautiful. All right, you you guys have uh, rare house strains that are exclusive to Good Buds. What is the process to get those? So that all starts with uh, something that we call the pheno hunt. And the pheno hunt is something where we'll spark some new seeds um, and we'll pick a winner out of that batch, like kind of like the, the pick of the litter, um, so to speak. And so you pick your winner um, and you keep on picking from a larger and larger pool or group. Uh, and that's how you can get an exclusive stream because people don't realize or they underestimate the different ways that a cannabis plant can turn out. So many of the strains that are out there today aren't really stable. They're like F1 hybrids. And so you can get all kinds of different traits from different places by selecting from a large group. Um, and when you do that selection, you can get something so unique that nobody else has. And the only way for them to get it is to give them a cut of it. So that's how good buds has our unique strain. Hmm, that's so cool. Um, I, I asked you about your favorite part of the, the growing process. Uh, I think one of my favorite parts might be if I ever did, uh, whether it was breeding or, or growing, particularly breeding, is is getting to name a strain. Um, is that fun? Is that, is that uh, anxiety-filled because you want to pick the right name? What's, <laughs> what's the naming process like? I've always wondered. Yeah, it's both those things for sure. Uh, definitely anxiety ridden, definitely fun. Try to keep it like open and I love bouncing it off of at least like 10 people, you know, to feel some confidence about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that would be, uh, that would be me as well. Uh, so you have flower right now in uh, Alberta and, uh, it is, uh, that, uh, salty God is awesome. Uh, soon we will see a solventless hash and rosin. What is the process that you guys use? Uh, for making these products? Because there are a lot of people that are very new to cannabis that listen to this show that they don't know what uh, solventless hash or or rosin even is. Can you explain that process? Yeah, I'd love to. So uh, to start, we take all of our extracts um, from whole plant input, so from the flower as well as the trim leaves, uh, and for our live resins line, which is like a solventless hash, we take that from fresh frozen flowers. So on the harvest day, instead of driving, uh, drying the flowers at all, we'll clip them into a bag and freeze them in a freezer until the day we extract them. Huh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how that process went. Well, so you can go one of two ways. We also make some extracts from dried flowers that we hang dried and then buck down and use those flowers as whole flowers to make an extract. Um, that one we call our nug run hash. 
but our whole live resin line is flowers that we actually harvest fresh, freeze them immediately, and keep them frozen until the moment we extract and we extract them in a sub-zero environment in freezing water with ice. It's interesting. I I've seen rosin uh, been you know made in front of me, and uh, there's a there's a company here in uh, in my area called the Rosin Bros that I take uh, my cannabis to and get them to press it. And I know it's just basically heat and pressure, but uh, the the hash process is a little different. I think a lot of people would be surprised uh, that uh, that there is uh, is is it freezing cold? Is it ice or wa- is it ice water that you use? So we have a big that we fill with a whole bunch of water and add a whole bunch of ice to it. So it's probably about a 50-50 blend, let's say, of ice and water all percolating around, and we throw the cannabis in there, and it agitates off and knocks off all the trichomes and leaves behind the rest of the plant. So it's a very pure extraction because it doesn't pull really any of the plant fats. It doesn't pull a lot of the different things that you'll get with solvent extraction. It just knocks off uh, mechanically, basically, the trichotent. And then you just grab those with basically a giant strainer, probably. Yeah, exactly. So it strains through the bottom. We've got different sieves of different sizes that'll catch different qualities of trichomes. Some will land, if they're a full trichome head, will land in one sieve. And if it's more just a stock, it'll land in another sieve. Uh, and that's a way that we can actually grade the hash as well. When we look at it afterwards under the microscope, if you have more stock and more contaminant, like tiny pieces of like uh, leaf that you'll see, like a, or a tiny green color, or you can see tiny little like bits of red hair, that stuff, we don't release that as hash. Um, we, we would take that and make that into like a rosin product. Um, our hash, we look at it under the microscope and we just see heads or stalks and heads. Uh, and that's that's what you want like, in the hash. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, so what are some of the next products that we can expect from Good Buds? What do you have coming on the way that you might be able to let us in on? Yeah, so we've got some rosin coming too. Like like you mentioned, we just switched with heat and pressure. We've got some coming from the Salty God, uh, coming from the Mango Taffy, and from the Sapphire OG, where there'd be flower rosin of each of those strains. That salty god rosin has me salivating already. I mean, uh, I, I don't know how how good is it if you if you've been able to dive into it. So uh, we just got a test back of the Sapphire OG one, and it tested at around seventy eight percent total THC. So it's a really even for flower rosin, it's a real pure extraction, and the terps will just punch your head off. Like the take the terps that you get from the uh, from the flower and multiply that, and that's kind of the flavors on your head too. Oh, that's beautiful. Cannot wait for that. Uh, just want to get your thoughts on kind of legalization so far in uh, in Canada. Um, you know, we're we're making our way through. Um, you know, Uruguay did legalize, but the, the process of getting cannabis there is you feel like you need to get a piece of cheese at the end of the maze that you go through after you get it. So we have <laughs> we have really done what the whole world is looking at doing. How do you think we've done so far? Uh, I think as a, as a whole country, like, uh, there's, you know, it's a mixed story. I think Alberta's done a pretty exceptional job for sure, at getting stores out and at getting good products in those stores. 
Uh, they stock a lot of great variety. There's great craft producers as presence. And there's, there's a huge, uh, a huge presence of independent stores. And I think that for cannabis, it's not the kind of thing that you can do just with big companies. Like, that's not to say there shouldn't be big companies, but there should be independent, there should be family companies too, because that's what would drive kind of like the passion and the community and, and that whole side of cannabis. And that needs to be there as well. So, I think Alberta's done an amazing job in getting that part of the cannabis legalization story right. Um, and I think that it's, it's starting to get warmed up now. You know, that's another perfect example. Like, there's some good, there's some good stuff available, and I think in six months there'll be some really good stuff available. Uh, so I think that Canada's kind of just getting warmed up from like a product quality standpoint. We're now a lot of the entrants that were meant to grow cannabis and deliver great products are getting into the marketplace um, and starting to show their presence. So I think that's, that's kind of like the exciting spot. I think it's just so amazing. I, I love how you said that, that the, uh, the, the amount of things that are available to the cannabis consumer now. I mean, you know, before I started this podcast, before legalization, uh, I was like, here's 50 bucks, give me cannabis. I didn't know what a terpene was. I, you know, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And, and I think a lot of the, a lot of people are still in that boat is that they're still learning about the, the cannabis plant and, and it's not what they thought it was, maybe what they were taught by somebody long ago. It is safe. It is, hel- um, you know, it is uh, um, uh, checked medically by Health Canada. You know what you're getting and the variety of products that are there. It's not just a joint because for some people that have never smoked a cigarette in their life, the idea of smoking a joint might not appeal to them. So there's drinks, there's edibles, uh, there's extracts. Um, I, I think the amount of things that the new consumer is can be exposed to and be able to pick what they do, almost like cannabis a la carte, uh, to be able to have their experiences is the, is the coolest thing that we have going right now. Yeah, and I think that that's another great, you know, reason for, uh, for more entrance and especially like more independent entrance because like you're saying, like think about how many great uh, baked goods there are when you go to all the different bakeries, you know, instead of just shopping from the cookie section of your store. Like there's so many different ways that people can present and enjoy cannabis, like in a restaurant or a cafe. Or the, the future is really, really bright and broad. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's an exciting time because we're kind of just still cracking the surface. Well, what do you think is that next big thing? I mean, we've seen, we've gone from having flour and some capsules to having all these great products available to us. And, you know, people are discovering, uh, you know, portable dab rigs now and things like that. But what is the next big thing in cannabis, whether it's a product or maybe you mentioned ca- cafes, things like that. What do you think will be the next one? I think that the kind of cafe, restaurant, cuisine, experiential space is going to open up, but, you know, that's with the a COVID, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, caveat. The COVID caveat is if we can go back to restaurants and congregate again and, you know, other things, here's social distancing. I think that space is going to be an exciting one because now that cannabis is normalizing and people are not feeling such a stigma around it, we can actually see what it's like to like to have different lifestyles of it. So like, do you do it on a retreat or do you do it when you get a massage or you do it when you get your hair cut or do you do it, um, 
you know, when you're uh, at a, re- a restaurant or cafe that they serve you options that are edible cannabis, but it's like a fine cuisine, or maybe it's just like uh, hot dogs and like candy, but like there's, you know, you can have different ideas, not candy, but like a military regulation, but just different ideas that like bring a new edge or a new spin on cannabis are all to come. It's still new. Like all those things are to kind of, kind of to come and to look forward to. Yeah, I think cooking and cannabis is uh, something that has barely uh, been explored as we're, you know, we're still uh, fairly new uh, into this. But, uh, you know, I've been to a couple of dinners. I've had a small bit of experience, but uh, I think that is going to explode, hopefully, either going to cafes or at the very least of people doing it themselves at home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's sometimes the best stuff, right? Like, your, your grandma's homemade cookies are sometimes the best one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And there are a lot of grandmas out there that are eating those types of cookies now as the senior demographic is one of the <laughs> fastest growing. So it comes full circle. Tyler, this has been awesome, man. I really enjoyed uh, getting to know the company and hearing your story a little bit more. I love the product and I can't wait for the new stuff. Uh, best of luck out West. Thanks so much, Dean. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks again. This is the Cannabis 101 Podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Really enjoyed that conversation with uh, Tyler Rumi, the CEO and co-founder of Good Buds. Some great cannabis uh, to get together with your Good Buds and uh, consume. Don't share joints or pipes or bongs or anything like that. Just share Good Buds with your Good Buds and your own apparatus. You can also check out One Hitters later in the week featuring Tyler as we get to know his cannabis history. You can find it and full episodes at www.cannabis101podcast.ca. You can subscribe to The Weed Weekly while you're there and qualify for our monthly giveaway. What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News. David Wiley of the OZ joining me on This Week in Cannabis News. You can find them at okanagancom slash OZ. Keep up to date with all the news in the cannabis world on Twitter at OkanaganZ at Wiley Writer. David, how are things in your beautiful land today? Hello, my friend. Things are good. The sun is shining and uh, anyone who's got some happy little cannabis plants growing outside, They'll be soaking up those rays today and feeling oh, very happy. Beautiful. Exactly. Uh, sun, water, and space uh, is pretty much what you need uh, to grow the cannabis plant. And uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to canopy growth, a couple of interesting stories we're going to look at this week when it comes to that company. Some comments about the U.S. market from them, but also some massive losses. Yeah, and they kind of work together. You know, Canopy Growth posted a massive $1.33 billion fourth quarter loss. Uh, it's Canada's biggest cannabis company and most mostly known, I guess, for their Tweed label. And they released their, uh, their quarterly and their year-end update recently, just shocking investors with the news. 
and stocks were down immediately 20, 25% in trading after that. Um, so it, it was a big surprise, especially in light of the fact that cannabis sales have been enormous with COVID-19. Uh, a lot of stores seeing record sales and uh, Canopy just not cashing in on that. Their CEO, David Klein, he said that uh, the company is going to be resetting its strategic focus. And the Canopy no longer striving to be the first into every market, but rather the best, they say. Uh, they're also planned to become a leading, uh, a leading company in consumer insights and product development. Um, we've really seen with cannabis that they're trying to be first everywhere, uh, first with drinks, uh, first with uh, with other products, even oils and soft gels. We've, we've seen them put out just about everything under the sun that can be put out. And, you know, really, really leading in that sense. And uh, it seems to be hurting them a little bit. So that strategic refocus is going to look at making sure that they've got really the right products in the right markets. Uh, you know, meanwhile, as this is going on, we've got the Canopy CEO, uh, David Klein, talking to uh, Yahoo Finance Canada, making a bit of a damage control tour, almost, it seems. And he's making the remarks that pressure is really mounting in the U.S. right now for the cannabis market to open up at the federal level. And uh, that pressure is coming from states. More and more states are legalizing recreationally. Uh, nearly every state right now in the U.S has a medical cannabis available for sale, and that's going to create pressure to uh, to have this federal environment and a federal regulatory environment that we see here in Canada, um, you know, a little bit like the states where we've got those laws at the national level, uh, and then they differ from province to province. But in the U.S. at the national level, it's just uh, across the board illegal as far as they're concerned, and that causes a lot of problems for companies. Uh, particularly in COVID-19. We've talked to, talked before about the access to a bailout money just isn't available. So um, David Klein says that he's seeing uh, signs that we're going to see it uh, legalized that federally as early as 2022 and uh, possibly at latest 2025. And that's regardless of who's in the White House. He figures that the pressure is going to be strong enough that no matter who is running the country is going to be um, forced really to legalize nationally. Uh, twenty twenty two seems a little early to me. Uh, I think twenty twenty five or somewhere in between, uh, definite possibility. But you know, it's interesting uh, uh, when you mentioned that they, you know, they're always trying to be first. Uh, at Canopy Growth, now they're trying to be best. Well, uh, they were one of the first to get into that uh, uh, American acquisition. When you look at uh, they, mm-hmm. them picking up acreage holdings, well, no wonder they're pushing the federal uh, policy change in the United States because they have a lot of money invested in that going federally. That's exactly it. And so the timing of of this message coming from their CEO it's clear because legalization at the federal level would actually trigger that uh, $3.4 billion U.S. acquisition of acreage. Um, they're, by the way, a New York-based multi-state cannabis company and uh, even have uh, some directors on their board that you might recognize, Brian Mulrooney for one. Yeah. Uh, something about a GST, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> 
And uh, they also have uh, former uh, Speaker of the Ho- uh, United States uh, House of Representatives, uh, John Boehner, on uh, on board as well. So they, there's certainly uh, a lot of interest in the U.S. market uh, when it comes to canopy growth, uh, particularly uh, because of those uh, massive fourth quarter losses. Okay, um, uh, from time to time, um, as we should, we are critical of the legalization process and you know there are some things to be critical about and then there are some things that people just get petty about and i think it's important to be able to distinguish between the two mm-hmm. writer sam riches he's one of those folks that's uh, had enough with the critics of canada's cannabis legalization uh, he wrote an editorial in the national post growth op and he argues that uh, canada is providing a roadmap to the world And many are overlooking that fact that we're setting a pace and we're blazing a trail in an industry that just didn't exist only a few years ago. So he targets the Motley Fool story with a headline, Here's How Canada Blew Its Chance to Be a Cannabis Leader. And uh, this article uh, offended him definitely by the tone of his own. It criticizes tight government regulations, overzealous company evaluations. Uh, limited deployment of retail options, delayed rollout of infused products that have higher margins, um, startup companies buying huge huge swaths of land. And, you know, he's saying that that these aren't necessarily unfounded criticisms, um, but he wants to to make clear that, uh, that there's context to why these things have happened. And that context largely is really that this industry's new. And Canada is waiting for the rest of the world to catch up. Uh, you know, undoing cannabis prohibition, ushering in one of the, the most significant changes, really, to public policy in recent history, uh, he argues, was never going to be easy. And uh, also makes an interesting comparison to Uruguay, the first country to legalize. Uh, compared to them, he says Canada is really a cannabis utopia. Um, you know, as for the winds of legalization, uh, the gray market's already lost about 30% of its market share. Uh, the cannabis sector's contributed more than $8 billion to the national GDP and opened up new research possibilities so that we can better understand the benefits uh, and the harms of the plant. So, uh, you know, it's also created a distribution network of safe and regulated products. So, in short, the argument is that we've created the, ro- the roadmap here. And, yeah, well, criticism uh, definitely has its place. Uh, at times, we just really need to take a look at the the fact that the glass is half full. A hundred percent. There are some uh, common sense mistakes, like not being able to grab a six pack. Um, there are things that <laughs> yeah. need to be changed and will change over time. But it, it's amazing when you when you this this is what happens when I want to get cannabis in Canada. I can either go online and pick what I want, order it ahead go in, show my ID, click, collect, go, and choose from a whole bunch of variety. This is what happens in Uruguay, as you talked about. Uh, You have to register with the government, uh, their identity, buying history, logged via fingerprint scanner before they are able to make a purchase. They are limited to 40 grams a month. I could take 30 with me at one time and can choose between two standardized products offering both of which containing low THC. So when you compare that Canada 
is uh, definitely a leader. We have a lot to be thankful about. And I am confident that in time, things will um, develop properly. Um, I'm not about to throw the baby out with the bathwater in this, um, but we do have to give a little bit of time. Now, if we're still talking about this in five or six years, then yeah, we, we really have some <laughs> some complaints. But I think so far Canada has done a pretty decent job. I, I would give uh, definitely a passing grade uh, to, to what they have done and you know, still lots to work on. Absolutely. I look at the, the, you know, drawers of products that I have, um, from vapes to flour, a fridge packed with drinks, um, you know, a cupboard of chocolates. I, it really is a utopia as far as I'm concerned. Okay. We chatted earlier about how, uh, so many States with, uh, either legal or, or medicinal cannabis, um, laws, legalization laws are, are maybe forcing whoever's in uh, the Oval Office to look at legalization. One of the things that they can use in their argument for that is the fact that in some states, the, uh, the, 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 where there is medical cannabis rally, rather, uh, the uh, opiate use has dropped significantly. Mm-hmm. 20%. Yeah, the, the study found that if you want to reduce opioid use, make medical cannabis available to those who need it. Uh, and this comes from a first-of-its-kind study out of Columbia University's Irving Medical Center. And that found that states with active medical marijuana laws saw certain opioid prescription rates drop nearly 20% compared to the prohibition states. Well, this is something that's near and dear to my heart. I've had surgeries in the past, um, you know, where I have been given opioids, and I can tell you firsthand, that uh, once you have them, you don't want to give them up. And if you can make another option available, then it's it's going to solve a lot of pain down the line. Now, there's been a lot of discussion in Canada about cannabis and how it may help alleviate, um, you know, the opioid crisis here at home in Canada, particularly in BC, where anyone who's seen pictures of the downtown east side of Vancouver know that this hits hard. And it's uh, an awful sight when you're dealing with addictions issues. Now, daily cannabis use here has been found, according to uh, at least one study, to reduce opioid use in Vancouver. Uh, and, you know, across the border, uh, they're, they're just as susceptible as we are. Drug overdoses remain a leading cause of injury-related injury deaths in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports that 68% of those deaths involve illicit or prescription opioids. So uh, as reported by Marijuana Moment, this new study examines opioid prescriptions that are made specifically by orthopedic surgeons, um, who it notes are actually the nation's third highest prescribers of opioids. So it doesn't necessarily support a direct causal relationship, but it does show just according to the straight numbers that in those states that have, uh, you know, medical cannabis available, that people are relying significantly less on opioids. Hmm. Well, that is uh, certainly good news. Uh, anytime we can bring down uh, anything when it comes to the percentage of opiate use, 
in this country or any other country, uh, you know, it, it's a bonus. And when you can do it with something as natural and non-addictive um, as uh, cannabis, um, uh, it's it's even better. So uh, another reason to love cannabis, and and I think that the studies that are ongoing and will ongo will go on are uh, some of the best reasons why we have legalization because it's going to open up so many eyes. Uh, to the benefits of this plant and 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 cannabis um you know we we talk about uh, the ups and downs when you look at cannabis as a cash crop uh it is certainly proving to be that so far according to statistics canada actually netted about 2.3 billion dollars huh. of farm cash receipts in 2019 and that's a massive step up from the 564 million the year before so the, uh, the, the throw some some strange terms out here, but the realized net income, uh, as it's put, of Canadian agricultural producers actually rose for the first time in three years, up ten point four percent, which is massive, um, to four point nine billion dollars in twenty nineteen. So iPolitics, uh, which is a publication here in Canada, they're reporting that this is kind of a bit of a buzzkill in some ways, and uh, their source, Kathy Holtzlander who's the Director of Research and Policy at the National Farmers Union. Now, she says that cannabis sales actually seem to paint a rosier picture of Canadian farming uh, than actually is out there. The industry is struggling overall. And when you mix cannabis uh, into this into these statistics, um, Holtzlander points out that, uh, that it skews the numbers a bit. And if you take cannabis out, then it would show that there's actually a one percent decrease uh, in these receipts. So it's kind of misleading when it comes to the to the farming and agricultural community overall. Um, but really interesting to see how cannabis uh, farming has grown. And if you if you look at uh, where the realized net income was recorded in Alberta, it's up four hundred and twenty five million dollars. Quebec, you're up three hundred and seventy three million dollars. BC seeing a $102 million increase. And these are places where cannabis is actually a big crop and grown. Uh, there's a lot of growing operations. Uh, those smaller decreases we're seeing in Saskatchewan and Manitoba and generally relying more on traditional kinds of farming. So uh, fun fact, cannabis is actually now is worth about one quarter of what Canada's biggest crop uh, which is canola. So it's, it's really stepping up, and we're going to be seeing that increase over time uh, as we're seeing a lot more outdoor operations happening and and, uh, and as we're seeing the industry increase. And you know, we're talking about the U.S. opening up its market, and that's really going to, to create a pull on Canadian products. As cannabis becomes more and more common around the world and accepted, uh, Canada again, truly a trail trailblazer, and there's going to be a demand around the world for our products, which are going to be just top of the line. What I'm really interested uh, about this, David, is watching this. Um, I think this is from uh, 2019. So watching this grow in uh, 2020, 2022, 2024, 2025, to see where cannabis is uh, in in relation to some of the other crops and to see if some of the other farmers that are going to be saying, okay, this that I'm working right here, uh, this is not working. 
this over here, this farmer is doing this cannabis, he is working. So it'll be interesting to see how much the percentage of uh, cannabis receipts uh, income there is, but also the amount of people growing cannabis because they're seeing what is working. Yeah, being in the Okanagan, it's fascinating to see uh, orchardists in particular who are pulling up different types of apples and planting other types of apples, uh, pulling up, um, you know, cherry trees and putting in grapevines. So it'll be fascinating to see the way that that evolves and what crops start to get pulled in order to make way um, to grow cannabis and hemp. Yeah, it'll be uh, fascinating uh, to watch as um, there are many, many, uh, optimistic things about the uh, cannabis industry. David, thanks as always for joining me. Uh, you can find out more information about the OZ at okanaganz.com slash OZ. You can follow them on Twitter at okanaganz and at Wiley Ryder. Enjoy the sunshine, David. Have a great weekend. Great to talk to you, Dean. You too. Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. All right, it is summer and it's hard to think about uh, the fall, but I want to remind you that the Cannabis and Hemp Expo that was supposed to happen in April has been rescheduled for October 3rd and 4th at the Edmonton Expo Center in Edmonton. You can get tickets at CannabisHempExpo.com. We will be there on location, and we will be uh, posting interviews or conducting interviews and giving you some information. So we'll be on location. Come and say hi. We'll have some free tickets to give away as we get closer to the show. October 3rd and 4th, Edmonton Expo Center for the Cannabis and Hemp Expo. As mentioned, you can find out more information at CannabisHempExpo.com. And uh, like I said, we will be there on location interviewing some of the vendors. And uh, if you're interested, you can come on down and be a part of the show as well. You got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Time now for Cannabis Characters. Dopest dope I've ever smoked. Celebrating the best from fictional 420 film. Hey, I am your stoner. <laughs> and beyond. It's a blue. Be careful with that, man. Uh, is it heavy stuff, man? <laughs> Cannabis character I'm focusing on today is uh, a pretty legendary one uh, when it comes to the cannabis movie culture. It is Slater, played by Rory Cochran in Dazed and Confused. All right, check you later. Check you later, check you later. That's a common one that me and my buddies uh, used and uh, still use. Uh, to this day. So uh, for me, after Matthew McConaughey, Rory Cochran's portrayal of uh, stoner Ron Slater in Days to Confused is the most memorable character in the movie for me and, you know, for, for most people. I mean, McConaughey, uh, he, he does really steal the show. All right, all right, all right. And then, of course, you got this one. L-I-V-I-N. Uh, but Slater, I think he is uh, 
I think he's one of the cooler ones. You cool, man. From his scene at the water fountain in the school, and you know what? If you haven't seen the movie enough, go watch it and just watch him by the water fountain. He's pretty cool. Uh, he's climbing the moon tower and talking about uh, freshmen, how many beers have you had, and his battle with Don Dawson over shotgun. He had some great one-liners, but his best was during the party at the moon tower. He goes off on a monologue rant about aliens, George Washington, and weed. This country is founded, it was founded by people who were into aliens, man. George Washington, man, he was in a cult, and the cult was into aliens, man. You didn't know that? No. Oh, man, they were way into that type of stuff. George Tote Weed. Absolutely man. George Tote Weed. Are you kidding me, man? He grew fields of that stuff, yeah. man. That's what I'm talking man. about. Fields. He, he grew that shit up in Mount Vernon, man. Mount Vernon, man. He grew it all over the country, man. He had people growing it all over the country, you know? The whole country back then was getting high. Let me tell you, man, because he knew. He was on to something, man. He knew that it would be a good cash crop for the southern states, man. So he grew fields of it, man. But you know what? Behind every good man, there's a woman. And that woman was Martha Washington, man. And every day George would come home, she'd have a big fat bowl waiting for him, man, when he'd come in the door, man. She was a hip, a hip, hip lady, man. And she she was real cool, too. She'd harvest the crops, man. That's what I'm talking about. She'd put in the in the um, bushels and stuff and sell it, you know, because they had to, you know, make ends meet and stuff. I mean, they, it, what, did you ever look at a dollar bill, man? There's some spooky stuff going on on a dollar bill, man. Yeah. I mean, and it's green, too. There you go. Rory Cochran. Also played a great role as Lucas in Empire Records, uh, but we celebrate his creation of Slater as our cannabis uh, character today. Good stuff uh, from Slater. All right, check you later. We want to mention our uh, affiliation with Lobo Genetics continues. You can get a DNA kit 50% off when you use the promo code CANNABIS101. Head to LoboGene.com. Put in the promo code CANNABIS101. You're getting a DNA kit half off. And what do you get when you get your DNA kit? Well, you do your swab, you send it back, you find out how you metabolize cannabis, uh, what risks you may or may not be when it comes to THC, memory loss, mental health, and then you get your own unique profile. Uh, What strains uh, work for you specifically when you want to be in a happy mood? Uh, what about when you want to be uh, energetic, focused, sleepy? Uh, you need some pain relief? How about when you just want to relax and be calm? It is really like having your own bud tender. So head to lobogene.com, use the promo code CANNABIS101, get 50% off. Find out your perfect strain. What's that strain? Let's find out with Chris Ionson, Nova Cannabis store manager and educator. My good friend Chris Ionson of Nova Cannabis, Jasper Avenue, joining me once again for what's that strain on episode 50 of the cannabis 101 podcast Uh, we just passed a year a little bit ago in episode 50 so congratulations for being around for 50 of these chris (laughs) that's awesome dean uh yeah thanks for having me buddy that's uh, 50 that's great 
Yeah, it uh, it is awesome. Uh, before we get to our uh, our strain specific that we're getting into today, uh, I want to ask you about uh, the other day I was in there. Uh, obviously, I use the click and collect as much as possible. Uh, you go onto the Leafly site, uh, find out uh, your availability or your product availability. You order it up, you come in, click collect, and you're out. It's a, it's a great system. But when I was in there the other day, you were telling me about this uh, this new thing from Trust Beverages, these drops that you add to your drink. Uh, just just quickly tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, totally, Dean. These are uh, super cool. Uh, pretty pretty new product to the market. We got them about three weeks ago. Uh, they're called Very Vel uh, Drops. Uh, so the brand is Very Vel, and uh, there's three different SKUs that they have. Uh, they've got yawn, exhale, and tingle. Um, and the pretty cool thing, it's, it's a drop system. So you just add these drops to any beverage. Uh, it's water-soluble. Um, so it's uh, very fast-acting, like quick-acting on the onset. So you'll feel it, you know, anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, feel those effects. Uh, and then there's also a quicker offset, too. Uh, so, you know, you can be at a, at a barbecue with your friends and, you know, have a couple drops, uh, you know, have some fun, uh, and then you know, sober up uh, a lot quicker than you would from eating, you know, cookies or chocolate. Um, and, and with that too, Dean, they've got like, yeah, a THC, the yarn is the THC. So there's two drops of that will equal one milligram of THC. Uh, the exhale is the CBD, two drops of that is one milligram of CBD. And then the, the tingle is a, uh, is a one-to-one and it's uh, a balance of about 0.5 on each side. So a uh, real cool new product. Uh, virtually flavorless. Uh, we're getting a big, uh, a great kind of feedback from from all the people that have tried them out. So, yeah, it's super cool. I love it. I I just absolutely love all the new products that are starting to uh, pop up on the market. It seems that. Um, you know, if you, if you are this, there's a product for you. If you want to do this, there's a product for you. So it's beautiful. You can find it all using the click and collect, uh, with Nova cannabis through the Leafly site and, uh, you're in and out just like that. So the strain we're doing today is Mazar crossed with GWS. It's an Indica and, um, it's from Royal high, which is a brand under United greeneries who are under the harvest one umbrella i hope everybody is following along at home but uh, tell us a little bit about this story yeah definitely dean so uh harvest one they're a, a global cannabis company uh their head office is out of vancouver bc um uh, they develop and, and provide innovative health uh wellness and self-care products to consumers and patients in regulated markets uh, around the world um the range of solutions are, are designed to enhance the quality of life so um, a lot of it's uh, cannabis-related stuff. Uh, there's kind of uh, the five main kind of uh, brands are uh, are their licensed producer, United Greeneries, and, and under that we have uh, Royal High and Captain's Choice. Uh, they also have uh, a Sati Farm, uh, which is a, a medicinal side, uh, and you'll actually see Sati Farm products on on the Shoppers Drug Mart medicinal website. Um, and then there's a uh, dream water global. This is kind of cool. It's a, it's a zero calorie, uh, liquid sleep aid, uh, that you just drink right before bed and, and, uh, and night, night. So that was pretty neat to look into. Uh, and then there's a uh, delivera, uh, which is a, a transdermal, uh, you know, uh, company. It's a biotech company focusing on, uh, making topicals. And we actually have, uh, some of their live relief balms in our, in our stores currently. So, uh, they're all over, all over the place with the, these various companies uh, pertaining to, you know, cannabis wellness. Uh, and then they've also got a minority interest in Herb Cannabis, which is a retail operation. 
Wow, they, they have their fingers in a lot of cannabis pies, which is great for them because um, you know, then they're they're you know, they're part of every single one of the the entire process of getting cannabis from uh, you know, start to finish. Uh, seed to shelf and and things like that. So uh, kudos to them mm-hmm. for being involved in so much. Where are they located? Yeah, so like I said, the their their head office is out of Vancouver, but Royal High uh, and Captain's Choice they grow their cannabis in in BC, Saskatchewan, and Ontario. So they're kind of all over Canada. Uh, three main facilities. There's one on, in Duncan, BC, on Vancouver Island. Uh, they've got a facility at uh, at Lucky Lake in Saskatchewan, uh, and then there's also the Green Belt Greenhouse in Hamilton, Ontario. So yeah, t- three three kind of places all o- all across Canada. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Uh, so as you mentioned, United Greeneries operates uh, out of BC, and uh, you and I were talking, and there's uh, there's there's kind of one quote that kind of stands out for you when it comes to this company. Yeah, definitely. In, in my research and you know looking into them, uh, kind of their, their you know their their core statement. There's uh, I'll read it to you guys. Uh, it's, Here at United Greeneries, we are teachers, students, and innovators when it comes to cannabis. We are a dedicated team of horticulturalists, engineers, scientists, and entrepreneurs that share a passion for growing this future together. We come from a province with a storied legacy of cannabis cultivation, which we are proud to contribute to in the new age of cannabis in Canada. And then we are a proud product of the history of BC. I I love it. Uh, You know, cannabis and, you know, and BC, uh, very, uh, very synonymous together there. 100%. Uh, You know, people refer to really good cannabis as good BC bud, whether it's from BC or not, it's just synonymous with great buds. So we know where they do it. How do they do it? Right. Uh, so, uh, at all their facilities, they're, they're doing a hydroponic growth system for their plants, uh, which is really, really cool. Uh, with a hydroponic system, you get, you know, less risk of contamination. Um, you're going to get higher quality products. Um, there's no soil with, with the hydroponics. It, uh, so it's easier. It's cleaner. Um, you're also going to be able to reuse your water. So there's reduced costs and, uh, you can manage your nutrients, uh, all it's at a hold, you know, versus uh, at a dose. Uh, so hydroponics is, is, is great. I, I wish more LPs uh, use the hydro system, but it's, it's not, you know, everyone's kind of different. Um, they also use fresh water uh, collected from the Cowichan Valley on Vancouver Island. Uh, and it offers them uh, real nice chemical stability uh, for their plants. Um, proprietary fertilizer mixture that was developed by respected in- industry experts specifically for their cannabis. That's pretty dope. Uh, zero pesticides used. That's huge. Uh, and they're also known for all their facilities are extremely clean. Um, they take pride in that. So that's, I think that's pretty awesome. Um, they only use third party laboratories to keep things honest, uh, constantly monitoring their operations. Uh, it's their operations are scouted, scouted daily by a SWAT team of determined growers to kind of look for, you know, any kind of issues, uh, which is cool. And then, and then they also, uh, they don't uh, irradiate their finished product, which which some LPs are, are still doing. So, uh, no, no, United Greeners is doing a lot of a lot of really key key things. Uh, you know, they seem to care about you know the the culture of cannabis, the passion. So, uh, big big props to uh, United Greenery. 
Sounds awesome. Chris Ionson is the manager of the Nova Cannabis Jasper Ave location. He's also our uh, educator here on What's That Strain as we are chatting today about Mazar crossed with GWS and Indica from Royal High. Uh, what's the history behind this strain? Yeah, so it's uh, it's, it's it's a cross of, uh, of two kind of really cool legendary strains. Uh, Mazar crossed with Great White Shark. Um you know, and uh, it represents a, a delicious pairing of, of classic two classic indicas. Um, with the, with this specific uh, Mazar that they produce at at the Royal High uh, Growth Facilities, uh, their production staff have nicknamed it Raspberry Jam uh, due to its intense berry scented terpene profile, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and then uh, it basically, you know, the the Mazar X. GWS is, you know, it's a hybrid whose Afghan genes provide, you know, that typical Kush uh, resin production levels. So, uh, you know, really, really potent THC levels. Uh, and then uh, the taste of it is, is, you know, provided from the great white shark. So you kind of, you're getting that, that kick, that really nice flavor profile, putting them together to kind of create this really cool strain. Mm, I, I absolutely love that. Uh, the best of one, the best of the other makes a, a delicious, tasty, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, nice, uh, relaxing effect uh, sort of strain. So wh- what can you tell us about uh, the, the backstory bet- between uh, the two strains that are crossed to make this? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the Mazar strain, uh, it's also known as the Mazar I Sharif strain. Uh, it, it takes its name for, from where it was found, the growing center for cannabis in Afghanistan. Um and, uh, it, you know, it produces the legendary hashish known as shirak i mazar or, or uh, milk of mazar. Uh, so really kind of legendary hash, uh, you know, produced in this, this area. Um, and these plants are known to grow, you know, uh, to be massive, uh, up, to, up to four meters in height, wow. uh, provided, you know, the conditions are there. Um, yeah, and it's... Uh, pretty legendary the uh the mazar you know and it's it's known for uh you know an overindulgence of it uh can produce that mind warping immobilizing narcotic effect so um mazar is super cool super heavy indica uh and then the great white shark strain uh it's powerful indica dominant hybrid uh very uh, award-winning um it's um it's a cross of a super skunk and white widow um you know, geez, the awards for it, uh, you know, 1997 High Times Cannabis Cup, um, first place in the 2005 uh, High Life Hemp Fair. Um, yeah, it's kind of like an elder strain with a storied history um, and and known for kind of that uh, it's, it's sweet flavor. So um, crossing the two together here to, get, to give us the Mazar XGWS uh, is, is a pretty good, uh, a pretty good genetic cross. I'll say, uh, I, I liked, uh, you know, me and backstories, I like it. And when we can talk about, uh, you know, a direct area, uh, where something comes from and, uh, and then you, you know, you look at the uh, awards on the other side, uh, you know, you're in for something good. Uh, when you head to the website, uh, www.unitedgreeneries.ca, the thing I love the most is the full transparency. Uh, they tell you who they are, uh, what they do, how they do it. Uh, all their brand brand information is there. Uh, there's a lot to find at UnitedGreeneries.ca. Full thumbs up on the website from me. Yeah, definitely. I I like the uh, the look of it too. The aesthetic. I, I think it's pretty sharp. Uh, too scrolling through it. I don't know. I like the layout. I know it's good. 
Me too. Uh, THC levels. What are we looking at with this? Yeah, we're looking at uh, 18.04%. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's getting up there for sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's got some bite. Uh, and then we're at, uh, yeah, and then we're at, uh, you know, pretty much zero on the CBD. Okay. And, and this being uh, more on the indica side, um, it's, you know, we're going to get into who it's for. Um, but in 18% on a, on a pure sativa is a little bit different than 18% on a, on a more indica leaning strain. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, I definitely think so. Uh, I mean, especially for like a, a beginner, someone new to cannabis. Right. Um, if you, if you hit that 18% sativa, um, you are going to feel in the head a lot and, you know, overthink some things and, you know, depending on the person you can, you know, feel a little anxious, uh, a little paranoid. <laughs> um, and you know, those are definitely feelings that, you know, when we're getting someone to, you know, trying to introduce some cannabis, uh, we don't want them feeling that way. You kind of got to, uh, work your way up to those strains for sure. So, uh, where so on the indica side, uh, I think you're just going to be a little bit more chill, uh, and just maybe be a little bit more glued to your couch, but it'll be less in the head. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. More, more in the body. Uh, the name, uh, when we talk about what's in a name, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's the two strains, uh, crossed together. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to spend a whole lot of uh, time on that. Although mm-hmm. they, they, they could have called it, uh, the great Mazar or Mazar the great or something, but, uh, they went with the simple <laughs> approach, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it it is for sure. They could have had some fun with that, but uh, you know, not not our call to make, Dean. That's right. But that, see, for me, if I ever create something, the 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 most nerve wracking and and anxious thing will be trying to think up a cool name because, and I I just love that. I name every single thing in my I name my my uh, volcano hybrid supernova. So I couldn't imagine having to name a, a strain, but it would be so much fun. Yeah, I, I, I've thought that too, Dean, actually, for sure. Uh, you know, I, and I would want to definitely incorporate, you know, uh, the mother and father in the name too, right? Sure. You want it, you want it to be fun. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. All right. A lot the, of pressure. The look of this, uh, it comes in a small pouch, which I found very hard to open. Uh, can, can you let us know how you <laughs> opened this package? Yeah, definitely, Dean. Uh, yeah, I've opened quite a few of these. Uh, so my trick with these, so it's a little, it's a little pouch and it's got a, a white zipper and a little kind of, uh, a little bit of a cutter on, on, on top of the white zipper. Uh, what I do, Dean, is I, I rip the excise sticker that's over top of the, the okay. white track. Yeah. Um, and I completely clear off the white track. Um, and then I push down on the little cutter piece and slide that portion open and, uh, and it kind of slices the bag open. All right. I went uh, with scissors and had to cut it right open because I couldn't get it. But uh, it does come in a small pouch, so it's small packaging, so we like that. Uh, mm-hmm. um, what about the look? What about when you're we're getting this open and you're looking at the buds? Yeah, for sure. Uh, dark green buds. Uh, we got some dark orange pistols, too. Uh, pretty decent trichome coverage. Uh, uh, I think you had mentioned you had a really nice uh, uh, trim job on, on your package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did like it. Uh, it looked pretty good. Look, looks pretty tight. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but mine, I, but my trim job was, was nice. I, my buds were a little, uh, a little squished in, in the one gram sample pack that I, I picked up. Uh, but uh, still ground up great. Like I'm not complaining. But mm-hmm. well, that's the that's the thing. The trade off, right? Smaller packaging, but maybe less protection. Yeah, yeah, and I'm okay with that. Uh, okay. So, um, when we look at, uh, the profile of this particular strain, when it comes to terpenes, uh, there's one 
that we haven't really talked about uh, uh, much, if at all. Yeah, I think this is a new one. Uh, so the, the the kind of the top four uh, listed were uh, humulene, uh, which we've talked about. That's kind of found in hops. Um, uh, Nile is is the new one. Geranial, uh, and that's kind of a neat uh, neat terpene. It's it's kind of found in uh, in rose oil and citronella oil. Um, so yeah, it's, it's super cool, and I, I think that kind of adds that great white shark flavor, you know. Uh, and then we've also got myrcene in there. And it's kind of the clove, kind of earthiness, uh, and then uh, carry off lean as well. All right, gives you those spicy hints. Uh, that uh, uh-huh. uh, geranial that you're talking about, uh, having citronella. I just bought a citronella plant the other day, and you know you want to keep the bugs away. I got some citronella candles, citronella plant. Now I'm going to have cannabis with that in it, so I should be good uh, for bugs. And I jest, but uh, it's just it just amazes me about the. Uh, the, the amazing uh, different things we're still learning about this plant. And uh, there's another one of them, another terpene I didn't know much about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful. All right. Mm-hmm. So desired effect when it comes to Mazar crossed with GWS from Royal High. What are you looking at? Uh, de- definitely a very relaxing strain. Um, I, I found it to be pr- pretty heavy on the body effects, uh, you know, when I tested it out. Um, pretty decent in the head though. I, you know, I still kind of as relaxed as I was, you know, there wasn't too, you know, too, too much going on upstairs, uh, which, which was nice. I kind of shut my brain off. Um, yeah, I, I find it to be a, a super relaxing, uh, kind of chill strain. I wouldn't say like, you know, smoke this, uh, you know, and go you know, do sports, or, you know, go for a run. <laughs> don't but, uh, don't yeah, expect to be terribly productive is basically kind of yeah. what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, that's very true, man. <laughs> All right, so that leads us to the three W's. Who, what, and when is this good for? Yeah, definitely. So uh, who is good for? Uh, intermediate smokers. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's going to be the best, uh, you know, welcome to cannabis. Let's smoke some bizarre uh, GWS. Uh, so not for beginners. I mean, granted, you know, it, it wouldn't be, you know, uh, earth shattering, <laughs> but, uh, I think that, you know, it's better to kind of start off with something a little bit lower on the THC side. Um, what it's good for, uh, movies, chilling, um, hitting the couch, uh, when it's good for, uh, the evening, I, I think after, after dinner is nice, uh, kind of a, a little dessert treat, uh, after your dinner, uh, definitely in the, in the, it's an evening strain though. All right, I'm uh, firing yeah. this up. So it, you know what? It, it, when you talk about uh, uh, intermediate, uh, like this isn't level three. Like this is like if you've been uh, smoking for a little bit, like if you're new to cannabis and you smoked a little bit and you want to take that next step, the, even though this is 18%, this would be, a, I think, a good one for that. Yeah, I think so, Dean. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of that next step up. All right, I'm going to give this a try. You mind if I do it, Jay? You okay with that, uh, Chris, if I do a J? I am. All right. I wish I had a J of this, but actually I have a big bag of it from my Supernova uh, <laughs> Volcano Hybrid. So I'm going to do the bag. So talk about, uh, take me through the uh, the taste uh, that I should expect and, and, and others as well. Uh, yeah, definitely. So the predominant flavor uh, is, is kind of a, a woodsy uh, flavor, kind of similar to like a cedar. Uh, I, I did find kind of a, a, a subtle hint of like sweetness and, and berry almost uh, on the exhale. 
that's kind of my take on it. Thought it to be pretty smooth too. It is definitely smooth uh, too, and 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 I, I get I get where the 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 hoppy there's a bit of a hoppy taste from the humulene, or or it seems like uh, some sort of flavor mm-hmm. like that. But the, you know that woodsy, um, you know you go to a lumber yard, kind of that smell that that you that you get from uh, something or a sauna or something like that. Um, but there is Ooh, some sweetness yeah. to it, though. I I know what you mean with the cedar. Yeah, yeah. So I I kind of feel like the, that flavor profile, you know, attributes to the genetics with you know those two strains, where you know you got that kind of that uh, that woodsy earthy, you know, from the Mazar side, and then a little bit of sweetness from the Great White Shark. It's nice though. I, I it is, <laughs> and and you're right. It's smooth. Although anything out of this uh, volcano hybrid is. Uh, pretty damn smooth uh i have to say so i i like this i'm, I'm really gonna enjoy this uh out on the deck later tonight and uh, just kind of chill out watching the stars come out i think that will be the perfect strain for for doing that later in the evening yeah nice i like that idea that's a good call dean all right so this has been uh mazar crossed with gws it's an indica from Royal High, and you can find it at Tenova Cannabis on Jasper Avenue. You can say hi to my good friend Chris Ionson, our educator. Thanks as always, Chris. Enjoy the rest of the week. Hopefully, it's beautiful, and have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dean. This is the Business of Cannabis, a joint venture between the Green Generation Co. and the Cannabis 101 podcast. Bringing you the latest bud, biz, buzz. Malcolm LaBelle of the Green Generation Company joining us. You can find out more information at Green gencompany.com and follow them on twitter at green gen co one melka thanks so much for being here once again how's your week going good dean finally have some beautiful sun so nice it feels like summer yes no doubt it is starting to feel like uh uh, we can uh, definitely enjoy outdoors again and uh you know, uh, whether you're growing outdoors or indoors, uh, the first topic we're going to get to is uh, people that are making the transition um, as far as medical growers starting to get through the licensed producer process. Yes, I so happily uh, heard this week that some of the very first company that I really, really started to learn about the outdoor grow and the whole moving from the you know, the legacy system into the new world was Rosebud Cannabis Farms. I think I talked about them. I did talk about them on the first uh, version that we did of this podcast. And they got their license with Health Canada this week. So huge celebrations uh, for this company. And and it's, uh, it's not just a micro, it is a standard cultivation. But this really opens the door uh, to more, I would say, legacy grow uh, expertise. Um this company particularly was one of was the first. It was a pilot project um, through the community futures of the Central Kootenai region out of BC, um, and this is a really interesting story that I think needs to be told. And I'm working with this and some of the other people involved with this to grow that story. But basically, um, the community futures of, Co- of the Central Kootenays—they're kind of like the economic development group for the region of Central Kootenays, like in Calgary, of the Calgary Economic Development and Edmonton, the same thing. 
So these are uh, community features groups are all across Canada. And it's a joint uh, private-public partnership um, for the local regions to help uh, with local industries. So this group got together, you know, and said, you know, we looking at the people that live and that are the businesses that make up the Central Kootenai region of British Columbia, um, we know that a lot of them are in the the cannabis growing, the medical cannabis growing space. A lot of them have ACMPR licenses or MMAR licenses, and they their industry and their businesses have been revolving around or suiting uh, the growth of cannabis for decades, for you know, generations in some cases. So the, the Kootenai region uh, group said, you know, we really need to help support our, the people in this region um, through this legalization process. Uh, if not, then they're just going to leave or go away or go, you know, who knows what. So from the economic development of the central Kootenai region, they got an investment from the BC government, which they had to, you know, basically plead for, <laughs> for uh, three quarters of a million dollars to help support the growth of this program, this pilot program. And Rosebud Cannabis Farms was the fir- is the first uh, company uh, to get their license uh, from Health Canada to legally grow cannabis uh, in that model. So this is a huge win for the project, the pilot program, and the Community Futures Group as well as for Rosebud, and proof that, you know, even if you have a background of growing cannabis on the gray or other side, if you do the right way and follow the path with the right expertise, um, you can become legal. Well, it's so encouraging um, because we have talked about this, and I, and I have talked about this with so many different people about how we incorporate and bring in uh, that legacy market. And uh, so, so many kudos to this pilot project who recognized that, uh, you know, the being open-minded and forward thinking that this was coming. And, um, you know, th- th- there are, there are companies out there that can look towards this and say, okay, now we have sort of a, a model. We can put our own spin on it, but you know, if we follow the regulations, we can follow suit with these guys. Exactly. And, you know, one of the biggest key parts to what they did was that they didn't ask or, well, they tried to get investors, which is what everyone has been trying to do, but they bootstrapped their whole way to this. So they had a very low cost model for setting up their outdoor grow. Um, and honestly, if like, you know, I was working with them to help them find investors and was not successful. Um, and one of the biggest problems is they weren't asking for enough money. Right. Um, but in the end, because they figured out a way to bootstrap it and to really use um, very savvy uh, business uh, tactics in order to get what they needed when they needed it and do bartering and trade and, um, you know, convertible debentures, many different instruments instead of just a pile of money to get to where they are today and then they'll grow uh, organically literally and uh, in the investment world uh, to get to their next phases. So I'm so proud of them. And it basically means they're not indebted to anyone. They did it themselves. And um, you know, and I can't even take claim that I <laughs> helped them find what they needed. I just am so proud that they were able to reach their goals and they have an amazing product that I have tried myself and I'm excited for what's to come with them. So it's very exciting. You know, it's so funny. Um, when I was first starting up this podcast, I was uh, meeting with a few different people and uh, just discussing things. And, and one of them had said, um, you know, raising uh, uh, 
$3 million is harder than raising $50 million because $3 million for a lot of people isn't enough. And it, and it is kind of a, such an interesting thing. Now, um, you mentioned uh, the, the micros that are involved on this. Um, you know, a lot of these people yeah. are rosebud is, uh, is uh, uh, standard cultivation, but uh, how do the, how do the micros fit into this? Yeah. So, Micros is a is a, just a better example of how you just don't need a ton of cash to get started. You just need a good framework to work in and a good plan that you can work through either with Health Canada or with um, other experts in the, that you need. So with the micros, I mean, what I learned about them is uh, there's a great story. Tamara Follett, she's out in, out in New Brunswick, um, and her, her, her company is called the Sun, or her farm is called the Sun Leaf Micro Cultivation uh, um, sunleafmicrocultivation.ca. So Tamara was the first microcultivator to get their license through Health Canada, and she did this. She did this great webinar and talked about how she did the entire thing, start to finish. It took like nine months, and for less than I think it was less than twenty grand. Um, so she used her own, you know, pension savings and her her own invest her own saved money. God forbid anyone has that these days. <laughs> um, and bootstrapped the whole thing and did it herself. Um, and the, the cool part about it is once she got her license, the floodgates of opportunity to sell her product in advance to a bigger bigger LPs was like offer after offer. And I think she ended up going with uh, Pasha Brands out of uh, BC, who is also um, working with these micros, a lot of different micros to help bring them under one LP and buying their product. So with the micro process, you can either just get a micro cultivation process or a micro uh, processor and sale license. And a micro cultivation means you just have the ability to grow the product. So for anyone that has that legacy experience or has a lot of experience, it doesn't cost a lot to just be a grower for their favorite strain or whatever they really love to produce um, and then sell it to an LP. So that means they don't have to have more licensing and it essentially cuts out a lot of the cost of setting up um, the full end-to-end to the sale into the brand process. So basically the LP will take it to take your product um, and you can, sometimes they can work with you on, you know, if they have a house, they'll, you know, they can label it or brand it in the name of your, of your cultivation farm. That's an, or that's an agreement that the LPs would make with each individual micro, or they could just grow sort of a standard cultivar, like a white widow or, you know, some of the major, uh, favorites like you know girls got cookies or whatever so it just depends but this is a really great model i think and one that health canada is extremely um uh, in favor of they want small cultivators to come up uh through the ranks and 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 essentially do what like tamara fallout and like rosebud cannabis did is not get a bunch of investment and loans and all this stuff they don't need to be big to start but they can grow and always amend their license. Health Canada is very much in favor of start small, you know, perfect what you do well in this framework and then grow from there. And you can always amend your license to add on more square footage, more processing, sale licenses later. Malcolm LaBelle is the founder of the Green Generation Company. You can find out more information at greengencompany.com. Dot com. In Changemakers, we like to shine the spotlight on somebody in the cannabis space who is uh, making some change in a good way. Who are, we, who are we spotlighting this week? Well, it's on the same theme of change, you know, working the, the world from the legacy market into the, the legal market. And um, this is the first uh, 
company that I've seen that has been able to do this on the retail side. Uh, there might be others out there, but this is one that I actually followed. Prior to legalization, they had a medical uh, dispensary in Victoria. So this is the original name of the company was uh, Pharmacy with an F. So F-A-R-M-C-A-C-Y. I think that's right. Anyways, so they were based in, they're based in Victoria. There's three stores in Victoria. And they had a very high quality, in my opinion, high quality products for medical use. Um, and they had a very good online ordering system. And everything was amazing prior to legalization in 2018. And then what they did was they were able to roll their business into a legal into the legal side. They did have to change some things, like the name of their company and the name of their corporation became, um, now it's called the Original Farm, so F-A-R-M. So they kind of did a play on the pharmacy with the S. Right. Now they're the Original Farm. So I, I love that. It's great from a branding perspective. And their stores look actually very similar. They have a very much a aesthetic that's like... Um, like an old school apothecary, like you've got this dark wood and everything's behind glasses. It looks almost like a butcher shop kind of inside. It's sort of got that old world feel. Um, and now um, they're fully on the legal side in BC. They've got, I think they still have three locations. And um, yeah, so they had to reorg their corporate structure. But really the biggest key to this was that they were able to keep their customer base, at least the ones that were in BC, because now you can't order online from them anymore because of, you can't do that. You can only order from your uh, um, regional um, government body if you're ordering online in Canada. Um, but what they did was they had a fantastic communication program. And because I subscribed to their original um, store, I followed along every email that they sent out explaining this process and how they were going to be closing down for a bit. They were going to be redigging some things, following the new the new laws that were coming into place and then they opened up again and now they're thriving. They've got three stores. I think they're planning to opening more. I'm not exactly sure of the details of that yet, but you can still find them online and see exactly what they've got in store. And if you live in BC or in Victoria, you can definitely go to their stores and go online and they have a click and collect program and everything like that. So I have to say that they have done a fantastic job of transitioning from that sort of gray or the legacy space that was medical moving into the fully legal side, keeping their branding and their communication was massive in that. And, and I think they're going to be doing right quite well. Well, and I think it just shows that, um, the, uh, the cannabis space can be, um, populated by, uh, the, the corporate world or the independent sort of mom and pop, uh, in, um, um, on your own sort of space, whether you're a producer or, or a retailer and, it, it also is encouraging that there's that pathway and 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 I think it's I think it's so important for the you know those on the other side when it comes to deciding uh, about legalization to be open-minded to these people um, because of the knowledge base and the customer base that they bring prevents people from going to the black market exactly yeah and I think one of the biggest things that like I said in terms of the communication was massive. But also in looking at this, is like there's, this is a huge, this is like going to call this a teachable moment because most people that are ordering cannabis, if they're ordering it online, first of all, they don't realize that if they're ordering products online, they assume that it's legal because right. in Canada because it, must, it has to be. What? How could the internet not be legal, right? right, right. That's the sort of the assumptions we have. But um, the truth is that's not the case at all. Like if you're ordering cannabis online and it's being delivered either through Canada Post or delivered to your door 
it doesn't really matter. The fact is ordering online is only available to two groups or through two groups, and that is um, through the government body. So Alberta has the AGLC's website store. You can go online and order directly from them. And in Ontario, their, their process is a little bit larger. They have the OCS, the Ontario Canada store. In some cases, they're undercutting the prices of the retailers, which is a whole right. other discussion. Right. But essentially, the government's trying to get a bigger cut. Um, but really, um, that's it. Those are the only, and then if you have a medical uh, license, as in you have a, you're a, um, a medical patient, then how it works is you have to have a doctor that's prescribing cannabis. But what they do is the, the doctor's clinic like sets you up with LP, so only one or two at the most you can set up um, and they'll send your like patient information, essentially your patient record to the LP um, obviously to then contact you to fill in the rest of the process. So that's a completely different structure. And if you don't have a medical uh, reason to have cannabis and you haven't seen the doctor that can prescribe it, you would not be able to order through that online channel at all. It's not open to people. So that's why it's really confusing. Like there, and there's no place. It's not like you can go, you go online and, and these online retailers that are in the gray space are saying, yeah, we're illegal or we're not operating legally. They're not telling you that. So it's really confusing for people, but I think it's really much a teachable moment that um, you need to go into a retailer in, in uh, a store in to get legal uh, recreational adult use cannabis or click and collect. Or through the uh, the regional um, authority that uh, you know that manages that, like the ACLC in Alberta or OCS in Ontario. You betcha. So where are we going with what it means to be green this week? So this is again back to my. I feel like I'm on the theme of legacy markets today, but um, it, there is a very much a point to this. So I I remember uh, from my again the days of seeing all these emails coming to my inbox of advertising from these legacy stores. Tom Green. I don't know that there is. Tom Green is actually a Canadian celebrity, I think. Yep. <laughs> uh, he used to be really popular. I don't know where he is these days, but he was sort of this kind of the one of these, uh, you know, <laughs> I think pot smoking was part of his uh, uh, like persona. But anyways, the point is um, Tom Green is in, it, it's the reason I mentioned whether it needs to be green this week is because this name was in my inbox. And I'm like, what is going on here? Who is the Tom Green? So I look at it and it reminded me that green, back to the origins of my company, means cannabis to a lot of people, including as a business name. And there's a lot of, of these online retailers that still operate in that space. Um, and they like there's the green greens with a Z at the end is one. And they're, you know, they've had to make the transition to essentially, um, oh, essentially I'm going to say allude. Um, discovery and and how they do that is just by buying different domain domain names with different extensions, but their products mix and their online advertising and all of their marketing is phenomenal. Like they're very consistent with their branding, and for a consumer, it would be really hard to say, well, how come that isn't legal? Um, and so that's why it's one of those things where there needs to be that education point. And um, so what I've done to help with this is I've created a little online quiz. Um, called Is It Legal? It's a trivia game. It's available on my website at uh, www.greengencompany.com slash, um, I think it's education. And there's if you click a link there, it says test your knowledge. And what I've done is I've created a little, um, you know, is it legal question? It's a pictures with questions about products asking the consumer, the end user, 
do you think this product is legal? And then it goes in and it's sort of like a trivia question and then you'll get your results and um, learn why or why not those things are, are and aren't legal. So I, I, I recommend everyone to go test their knowledge with Is It Legal at my website and uh, see if they understand the difference. Well, I'm uh, taking the test uh, right now and I've, I've always been uh, in just in awe of why, how these companies keep uh springing up and are and are never kind of uh busted uh so it, it is interesting how they stay kind of i guess ahead of the game yeah i mean there's lots of, that's a lot longer of a question but uh, let's just say that money talks and uh when you have customers buying your product it's hard to not sell it <laughs> let's put it that way yeah no doubt um All right. Well, I've taken the test. I'm uh, excited to see what my uh, results are going to be. And um, as we've uh, been talking about, uh, this is a very important aspect of legalization and, and, you know, um, the gray market, uh, black market, whatever it is, probably isn't going to go away, but we can certainly lessen it. And one of those ways is to bring in those legacy markets into the new legalization. Uh, Melka, this has been a really informative conversation. Once again, people can find more information at greengencompany.com. You can follow you on Twitter at greengenco1, and they can take the quiz. Thanks so much, Melka. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Dean. You as well. Bud, dope, flower, ganja, Mary Jane. We all have our own language when it comes to cannabis. Herb, John Lennon, plant, tie stick, salad. So let's explore another weed word of the day. Samuel L. Jackson, the hobbit's leaf, Lady Gaga, 420. All right, talking uh, weed words of the day, one slang, one standard, and the uh, slang word I'm going with today is dank. Uh, Sometimes you hear us talk about that uh, when we're describing a strain, and I don't know if it really, maybe it's a different definition for different people. Uh, It's it's actually defined the word as dank, uh, as dark rather, damp, and humid. Uh, In slang terms, uh, people refer to it as really good smelly stuff powerful smell like that's is a dank smell like it's coming at you hard um and it just kind of refers to really good weed uh but the the smell particularly uh that smells stuff uh smells dank um so interesting term uh can probably go a few different ways the standard term is something we talked about with tyler and that's hash and and hash just so you know is the collection of the powdery resin from the cannabis plant, the trichomes, the good stuff. You hear Chris and I talking about that all the time. Uh, it's the highest, the most potent part of the plant, uh, particularly from the top cola buds, the highest buds and uh, part of the plant as it grows. Uh, it can be done by hand, uh, it could be done by machine or uh, in icy cold water as good buds cannabis does it. Uh, it can be packed together in a, in a brick. It can be soft round ball, it comes a variety of colors from black to blonde. Um, it's very potent. So go easy on it. Uh, the first time you tried, it could also be made into oil. Um, as, as we were younger, we would use knives on the stove. I do not recommend that. Um, we were stupid enough to just put them back in the drawer. So there it is. Our weed words of the day, uh, dank and hash as uh, we are talking slang 
and standard uh, by the way we are working on betting getting the video production back up uh, so we'll be posting on uh, youtube the WeTube, and streaming on our uh, social media channels as well so hopefully uh, we will get that going uh, in the next little while is the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. All right, big thanks to Tyler Rumi, the co-founder and CEO of Good Buds. What a great story. Driving across the country, settling in Salt Spring Island, uh, starting out of a van, and producing such great cannabis. Uh, really enjoyed his time. Uh, we'll have one hitters with Tyler a little bit later in the week. David Wiley from the OZ on This Week in Cannabis News. Thank you very much to David. Chris Ionson, of course, brought us Mazar crossed with GWS from Royal High. Chris is, of course, the educator for this show and the manager of Nova Cannabis on Jasper Avenue. Malcolm LaBelle from the Green Generation Co. on the business of cannabis. We discussed how legacy and medical growers are getting into the legalization game now. And our cannabis question, where is the coolest place that you have been high? You could win a Regal cigar just for chiming in on any of our social media feeds or emailing me cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to uh, use the promo code cannabis101 when you're ordering your DNA kit from Lobo Genetics. You will get it 50% off when you use the promo code cannabis101 and uh, sign up for the Weed Weekly at the Cannabis 101 Podcast. Uh, you will be in the mix for our monthly giveaways. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe to the show. You'll get it every time we post a new episode in your podcast inbox, wherever you listen uh, to your podcast. And if you do subscribe, uh, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps us and uh, you know helps us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and certainly helps us uh, get our rating up there. If you would like to be a part of the program as a guest or an advertiser, I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up on email at cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. We leave you with marijuana. It's our extra song by the artist, My Dead Dog. And remember, it's not just about getting high. It's about getting healthy.
Yeah.